As many of you probably know, the hymn Amazing Grace has a fascinating history behind it. The author, John Newton, had lived a brazenly degenerate life. He was conscripted into the Royal Navy, and after he deserted, was traded to a slave ship. He was frequently disciplined for disobedience, not for any high moral principle, but simply because he was a jackass, really. No other reason. He wrote obscene poems and songs about the captain, which became highly popular among the crew. He was an extraordinarily erudite cursor, which was remarkable for a profession that's known for it. He, he not, only, not only did he use the worst words that his captain had ever heard, he was a prolific wordsmith of new ones. One wonders, by the way, what a best of John Newton collection would look like, what it would sound like, everything from Amazing Grace to those, to those, uh, uh, those songs aboard the ship. To discipline him, he was starved, imprisoned, and eventually enslaved working on a plantation in Sierra Leone, which is on Africa's west coast. His father eventually intervened, and he returned to England. The experience didn't stop him from slave trading, though. In March of 1748, a violent storm struck Newton's ship. Having tied himself to the ship's pump to keep from being washed overboard, Newton said aloud, If this will not do, Lord, have mercy upon us. Two weeks later, the starving crew landed ashore. Unlike previous times where he had questioned God in a moment of crisis and went back to his old way of life, this one stuck with Newton. His conversion, like so many conversions, was not immediate. He became a captain on a slave ship after that experience, and the only vice he was able to renounce was his loquacious swearing. That was the one thing he was able to stop doing. Slave trading, he kept right on doing. It was only after a health crisis at the age of 30 that he stopped sailing. He stopped slave trading. In the 1750s and early 1760s, Newton discerned a vocation to the Anglican priesthood. He began to write about his experiences in the slave trade and his conversion, and finally, a friend in high places sponsored his ordination and assigned him to a congregation in Olney, which was a very poor village. He was much loved there as he preached from his own life experience, which was really unusual at the time. Usually a preacher would stand and just deliver it straight from the Bible without any reference to anything the congregation was going through at all, which, as you all know, doesn't make for a very particularly interesting sermon. Could make for an interesting lecture, but not necessarily an interesting sermon. He, he struck up a friendship with author William Cowper, with whom he organized a prayer meeting. And then he also began hymn writing. And this time, instead of writing obscene songs and ditties about his captain, he began writing sacred verses, sacred poetry and hymns. For each prayer meeting, Newton and Cowper attempted to present a new hymn or poem. Amazing Grace was probably first presented and used in a prayer meeting on January 1st, 1773. Even then, Newton was not an abolitionist. 
even after Amazing Grace was written. It wasn't until he joined forces with William Wilberforce, the Minister of Parliament who led the charge to abolish the slave trade in Britain in the 1780s that he advocated for the abolition of slavery. All of this biography has a point. It's not just because the choir is singing Amazing Grace, though that's part of it. It is because Newton's life mirrors the Christian life in many respects, especially the importance of ongoing conversion. And Lent is a grand opportunity to recognize our need for ongoing conversion done by and through the Holy Spirit. Scripture shows us that the disciples required ongoing conversion. Mark's gospel especially pulls no punches. The disciples come off as ignorant, power-obsessed, and fearful. Even after Jesus has given them authority to heal people, and cast out unclean spirits, they fail terribly earlier in chapter 9 when Jesus comes down from the mountain after the transfiguration. After the debacle at the foot of the mountain, Jesus goes with his disciples back to Bethesda, back, back to uh, Capernaum, actually. So there are no crowds this time. Jesus has something important to teach, something he needs to drill through their thick skulls He's going to be betrayed, he's going to be killed, he's going to rise again. But the disciples don't understand, and moreover, after Jesus' outburst earlier in chapter 9, they're afraid to ask him about it. That's what the text tells us, that they, they were afraid to go further into that. They're like children in a classroom, or no, they're not like children, they're like adults in a classroom. They, they're like adults in a classroom because a lot of children aren't afraid to ask questions. Adults can be afraid to ask questions out of fear of looking stupid or out of fear of being the only one to talk, perhaps. So the disciples don't want to speak up. Instead, what happens is they change the subject. And if you look at this, these chapters, it is remarkable how often, if you just ignore the subject headings in your Bible, and if you read chapter 9 straight through, you'll be amazed at how much the disciples change the subject, away from what Jesus is trying to teach them. And the subject this time changes to greatness. Who's the greatest? While we can laugh at the ridiculousness of this change from what Jesus has just told them, it's easy to understand why they do this. We don't get this suffering and death part, Jesus. Let's talk about who gets to be prime minister in the coming kingdom. That, that, we'd much rather talk about that. So it's a classic human behavior, right? If we ignore what's going to happen, maybe it won't happen. So Jesus gives these future leaders of the church a lesson in leadership. Do they want to be the greatest? They need to consider themselves the least. Do they want to be the best? They need to be servants. They need to be leaders who are known for welcoming the most vulnerable people, which in the first century would have been exemplified by children, and still is today to some degree. Children were not the center of the household then. 
Children, while loved and protected in Jewish homes, the case was often tragically different in Greek and Roman families. Children were still the least in the household. Jesus reminds the disciples that true leadership, true power in God's kingdom is different than they think it is. It requires welcoming and embracing the most vulnerable, those who are commonly thought to be the least. And so it is with our own ongoing conversion. So there's an apocryphal quote that's made, the circul- made circulation on so- social media, which is attributed to Martin Luther. We need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. Luther probably didn't say that, but I still like it. So I'm going to pretend that he did. Because we do. We forget Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the life of the world every day. And the Spirit hammers it back into our heads every day and into our hearts. Every day. And Luther did say this. The new creation that God has made us to be in our baptism rises up again. That's in your small catechism. Every day we are renewed and raised by sheer amazing grace. Lent is a time when God calls us to remember that we have been baptized, that we have been adopted into God's family, and that we are constantly being educated and converted. The ashes on our forehead will be a stark reminder that after everything we, everything we do, we're still going to die. All our attempts at being our own master, as John Newton tried to do, ultimately come to nothing. All our attempts at being the best, going for power like the disciples did, ultimately come to nothing. All our hope rests in our merciful God who sent his son to live, die, and rise to bring us into his kingdom. This Lent, as we receive this Ash Wednesday, as we receive the ashes and hear the words of death and receive communion and hear the words of life. God gives us an opportunity to listen, to ponder, to more deeply understand the life that God calls us to live, both now and in the resurrection to come, to let the Holy Spirit renew our hearts in the faith we were given at baptism. Let this Lent be a special time for your continuing education and ongoing conversion. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, send the Spirit to renew our hearts and help us to be continually converted to your way of being. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.